Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me for this first in a series of podcasts that I'd like to record about reproductive medicine and embryology specifically. Now, on the channel uh, previously, I've talked about sperm and egg production, I've recorded a podcast about IVF, but in this dedicated series, I'd like to go right back to the beginning. So in this one, I'll be talking about fertilisation and implantation. And then moving forward in the series, I'm going to look specifically at the trimesters of birth. So what happens in the first couple of months, then the next set of months, and then the final few leading up to the birth of the child. But I'll go into a bit more detail as well about feeding the child. So in terms of uh, not just food, but also breast milk as well and breast milk development. So this really is going to be quite a comprehensive look at the lifespan, if you like, of this developing uh, baby. So let's start at the top. Fertilisation is the first moment of life. It's the process by which the genetic material in the male sperm and the female egg fuse to create new life. Now, in normal circumstances, this takes place about 12 hours after sexual intercourse. Now, during intercourse, the man will normally ejaculate semen containing about two to four hundred million sperm. Millions of these will simply leak out of the vagina almost immediately and many more are destroyed by the vagina's acidic environment. Only a few hundred thousand actually make it through to the uterus. In the uterus the sperm are subjected to forceful uterine contractions that ultimately help to disperse them through the uterine cavity or womb where thousands more are destroyed by special types of white blood cells that are normally present. Eventually, just a few thousand, and often only a few hundred really, reach the fallopian tube to meet the egg moving towards the uterus. To make that trek possible, sperm are equipped with powerful tails that allow them to swim towards the egg, a journey that can take well over 10 hours. Now, during that time, the sperm must undergo a process called capacitation to enable them to fertilise the egg. Now, although the process of capacitation is not really well understood, it appears to involve special chemicals being produced by the uterine tissue to remove chemicals that are present on the sperm's surface. This weakens the outer protective coating or membrane that covers each sperm's head. The membranes must become weakened and fragile so that the inner layer, called the acrosome, can be exposed. Until this outer layer has been removed, a sperm is unable to fertilise the egg. Capacitation also allows the sperm to become more active, enabling them to reach the egg just more quickly and efficiently, you could say. So what happens at the egg? Well, once the sperm have reached the egg, they must get extremely close for the next stage to take place. At this stage, the egg is surrounded by the corona radiata, a mass of cells and gelatinous material from the ovaries. The sperm must penetrate this to reach the egg. And to do this, it has to produce an enzyme that ultimately dissolves this material and disperses that corona. Both the corona and the zona pellucida, the outer layer of the egg, must be breached before the egg itself can be penetrated. Sperm are actually capable of fertilisation for about 12 to 48 hours after ejaculation. After being released from the ovary, 
eggs can be fertilized for up to about 12 to 24 hours. So for successful fertilization to take place, intercourse must, must occur rather no more than 72 hours before ovulation and no later than about 24 hours afterwards, at which point the egg is approximately a third of the way down the length of the fallopian tube. The first sperm to breach the zona pellucida makes contact with the egg itself, and that's known as the oocyte. Now when this happens, the outer coat in the, of the egg fuses with that single sperm. Then, for successful fertilization to occur, no other sperm are allowed to enter. To prevent this happening, a reaction takes place in the zona pellucida itself. At the point at which the successful sperm reaches the oocyte, granules in the egg release a chemical into the space beneath the zona pellucida that thickens that protective layer. This causes all of the competing sperm still in contact to become, I guess you could say, detached and they just fall away, preventing them from fusing with the egg. The entry of several sperm into a single egg does occur in some animals, but not normally in humans. For successful human fertilization, only a single sperm is allowed to penetrate the egg. If two sperm do achieve fertilization, there'll be too much genetic material present, and unfortunately, the embryo will probably die at an early stage of development. Shortly after the egg's inner membrane has been penetrated, the sperm loses its tail and body, which will essentially drop off, while its head enlarges and it migrates towards the centre of the egg. Now, the nuclei, which contains the genetic material, the chromosomes, of the sperm and the egg, meet somewhere near the centre and fuse. And that is generally considered to be the moment of fertilisation, when, when the maternal rather and paternal uh, genetic material combine to produce what we call a zygote. It's the cell that contains all of the genetic material for the new individual. The entire process from the moment the fertilizing sperm reaches the egg to the moment the nuclei fuse, it takes roughly about 30 minutes or so. Now, fertilization is only the beginning of the development of a baby. The fused egg and sperm, now called the zygote, has to travel back down the fallopian tubes, essentially into the uterus, retracing the path taken earlier by the sperm. Once it arrives in the uterus, the fertilised egg needs to find a place on the wall to implant itself. There it's going to receive nourishment from the mother's blood supply. However, before reaching the uterus, the cells have to negotiate the journey through the fallopian tube. Immediately after fertilisation, zygote measures about roughly about 0.14 to 0.15 millimetres in size. It's barely visible to the naked eye at that stage. In fact, it is still the largest cell in the human body and probably the most sophisticated. This tiny mass contains all of the genetic information that determines the manner in which the baby will develop physically, such as colour of the hair and eyes. But it also contains information that contributes to the personality, mental ability and emotional character of that young child. As the zygote passes along the fallopian tube, the division of cells, known as cleavage, begins. 
Looking at the zygote under a microscope, the first sign of this process is a groove around the middle of the cell. This leads to a split in the cell with equal numbers of maternal and paternal chromosomes passing to each of the daughter cells or blastomeres. The first few cells that divide are much bigger than the ordinary cells and have to shrink to reach normal size. Each cell contains a central nucleus, which is surrounded by a fluid called cytoplasm. When the original cell first divides, it creates a second nucleus, which houses the chromosomes, but no new cytoplasm. Now, half of the fluid from the first cell enters each of the new daughter cells, so the overall size of each cell is actually reduced. This happens several times, with each division producing smaller cells using the same cytoplasm. Once the cells reach normal size for a human cell, a mechanism is triggered that causes cytoplasm, as well as the nucleus, to be formed in every subsequent cell division. So let's talk now about something known as the blastocyst. This division process it takes place roughly every 12 hours or so. Now, after about four days, the original zygote has increased in size to between 16 and 20 cells, and it's formed a solid ball known as the morula. As the divisions continue, there's a gradual accumulation of fluid within the morula. This shapes the morula into a hollow ball of cells, and that is known as the blastocyst. Between five and seven days after fertilisation, the cells have travelled through the fallopian tube and they've reached the uterus. Now once the blastocyst reaches the uterus, it sits in the uterine cavity as it continues to grow and develop. So far, all of the cell divisions have taken place within the outer casing of the zygote, the zona pellucida. For the embryo to develop further, this layer has to be removed and secretions from the lining of the uterus help to dissolve the zona. Two to four days after reaching the uterus, the implantation process takes place, usually somewhere along the back wall of the uterus. The blastocyst burrows down into the endometrium, or the lining specifically of the uterus, using particular enzymes to digest the surrounding cells. The oxygen, fluids, and nutrients that are released from the endometrium are absorbed by the embryo and used as nourishment. If all goes well, the blastocyst will be securely implanted, constantly secreting hormones to signal to the mother's body that pregnancy has occurred. Now, this is important as otherwise the mother would continue to ovulate each month. And if the process of menstruation were to continue, the womb lining would peel away as part of its normal monthly cycle, taking with it the newly implanted blastocyst. That would cause what doctors refer to as a natural miscarriage. By this stage of development, there are two distinct groups of cells in the blastocyst. A mass of round cells at the centre, separated from an outer wall of flattened cells by fluid. Now, This central mass of cells will soon form the embryo, the outer layer of flattened cells will become the placenta, which will supply nutrients to that growing embryo. But there are a few problems that may occur, and I'll finish this first uh, podcast in this series by just mentioning a few of the implantation problems that may arise. Now, sometimes the embryo implants in the wrong place. If it does implant in the uterus, but close to the opening where it joins the cervix, the os or os, 
uh, and spelling wise, it can lead to a condition known as placenta previa. As the placenta develops and grows, it can cover up the os. Sometimes this causes no problems at all, but in other cases it can lead to heavy bleeding in the later stages of pregnancy when the placenta separates from the uterus. Ectopic or out of place pregnancy results from the embryo implanting somewhere other than the uterus. This most commonly occurs in the fallopian tube, but occasionally can take place in the ovary, the cervix, or actually the abdominal cavity. Ectopic pregnancy is a really serious condition. As the embryo develops, it can cause surrounding tissue to become damaged or to rupture, and that can lead to heavy bleeding and immense pain. So just a few of the implantation problems that exist there. So this really is sort of an introduction to embryology, if you like. So we've covered fertilisation and implantation. And what I'd like to do in the next podcast in the series is look in a bit more detail about the first, second and third months. So the first three months, the first trimester, if you like, of pregnancy and look at what is actually happening almost like week by week. And it's absolutely fascinating. So I hope you will join me for those. All that's left for me today is a big thank you to everybody for listening to this uh, first podcast in this series. And if you have any questions, as always, get in touch at kytosbiology at gmail.com. Until next time.